0: It's February 26, 2021. The Pokemon Company is set to premiere its 25th anniversary video presentation with millions of people waiting. Despite incredible success for the series early on, the games were starting to blend together, and people were beginning to lose interest in the series. Each passing title was catering more and more to younger audiences, and it seemed that after the release of Black and White in 2011, the series had peaked and was on a downward spiral to the bottom, but this presentation would change everything. The company would announce two games slated for release in late 2021 and early 2022, the former being remakes of fan-favorite games, and the latter a completely new and fresh take on the Pokemon formula. These two games would combine for some of the best sales the Pokemon company had seen in years. They would manage to cater to almost every Pokemon fan, with the remakes catering to a younger audience as well as those who wanted a nostalgia hit, and the new game providing those who wanted something new with just that something new and innovative that hadn't been seen before. However, the Pokemon series already had a groundbreaking game that had been released 10 years earlier. It was challenging, it had strategy, it had a story, but it was released between two blockbuster main series Pokemon games on a dying console. This would kill any chances of the game selling well, and yet this lack of sales would be its biggest asset. It would be looked back upon as a hidden gem from a forgotten era. Today, I wanna talk about what makes this game so special. This is the story of Pokémon Conquest. Pokémon Conquest takes place in the Ronsei region. A war-torn continent shaped like the region's creator, Arceus. Unlike other Pokémon spin-offs, which typically lacked depth and character, Pokémon Conquest stood on its own as it was a crossover between the Pokémon and Nobunaga's Ambition series. The Nobunaga's Ambition series is based on the real-world history of the Sengoku period of Japan, a warring period lasting from 1467 to 1615. This game was an odd choice for a crossover, but it did make the game stand out. Still, it's odd to think that someone signed off on this idea and allowed this game to be produced. I like to think that the pitch for Pokemon Conquest went something like this. Boss, do you have a minute? Sure. What is it? I have an idea for a new Pokemon side game. Let's make it a crossover with Nobunaga's ambition. What would that look like? Picture this. You and five other warriors are leading your Pokemon into the great crusade of war as you conquer a region shaped like Pokemon's version of God. Sounds weird. I love it. Speaking of the region, here is where you will notice the first major difference between Pokemon Conquest and the main series Pokemon games. Instead of going from town to town to collect 8 gym badges, you travel from kingdom to kingdom, conquering each until you've united the region. There are 17 kingdoms to conquer in total, with each kingdom representing a different Pokemon type. Now, dear listener, you're probably wondering, why would the game have you conquer kingdoms instead of collecting gym badges? For that, we have to take a look at history. As mentioned earlier, this game, as well as the Nobunaga's Ambition series, is directly related to the real-world history of Sengoku period Japan. At that time, Japan split into regional kingdoms ruled by the daimyo, rulers possessing powerful groups of warriors. When this split occurred, no one held power in the capital of Kyoto, where the emperor and his palace were located. This meant that whoever controlled Kyoto controlled Japan, leading to many daimyo scrambling to take it over. Amongst the many daimyo vying for power, Imagawa Yoshimoto would have the largest influence on how this scramble for power would play out. Like many others, Yoshimoto would begin his march to Kyoto, announcing the size of his army to be somewhere near 40,000 soldiers. Due to this large number, other daimyo backed down from fighting him, except for Oda Nobunaga. Nobunaga decided to take his army of 3,000 soldiers to fight Yoshimoto. With losses early on, Nobunaga was deemed a fool. However, realizing that to wait would be suicide, Nobunaga called his men to arms and came up with a plan to claw through Yoshimoto's forces. While Yoshimoto's army was celebrating their most recent victory, Nobunaga's army would attack, killing Yoshimoto and securing a decisive victory for the Oda clan. The effect this would have cannot be understated. This military victory would create many new alliances for Nobunaga, strengthening his army and allowing him to take Kyoto. With this victory, Nobunaga would then set his sights on the rest of Japan uniting a solid majority of it before his bodyguard and general Akechi Mitsuhide killed him in 1582. From here, Nobunaga's successor Toyotomi Hideyoshi would defeat Mitsuhide, become the next ruler of Japan, and fully unify it in 1591 before dying in 1598. His successor Tokugawa Ieyasu, the final of the three great unifiers, with the other two being Nobunaga and Hideyoshi, would mostly maintain what his predecessors had accomplished in Japan. However, Ieyasu's grandson would have a major impact on Japanese and world history when he shut Japan off from the rest of the world. This piece of history sets the stage for the majority of Pokémon Conquest stories, including the first. In the first story, you are thrown right into the action, tasked with conquering all 17 kingdoms in the Ronsei region, as well as stopping the antagonist of the story, Nobunaga. You are greeted by Oichi, a smart young girl who will have some plot significance later, in the small kingdom of Aurora, which you are the new warlord of. You go through a tutorial battle and after this tutorial, Oishi gives you a bit of good old-fashioned exposition before forcing you to bring her along on your quest to unite the region and save it from the evil of Nobunaga. Since you're forced to accept, you now wield an army of two and are presented with the task of beginning your conquest of the region. The first foe you run into is Hideyoshi, hopefully you remember him, who rules the kingdom of Ignis above you. He represents something that will come up a lot in this game, references to real life. His clothing, consisting of basic robes with a monkey helmet, and his Pokemon, Chimchar, the Fire Monkey, references to his nickname that he was given by Nobunaga in real life, Kozaru, meaning little monkey. And with this, another piece of the game is different from the main series Pokemon games. All of the characters outside of you are real people from Sengoku period Japan. Every warlord, every warrior, all 199 characters that aren't you, the player, were real people in history. Progressing into the story, you conquer the kingdoms of Fontaine, Greenleaf, Violite, Pugilus, and Chrysalia, netting you a total of 7 kingdoms conquered of the 17 required to unite the region. It is at this point that you are given more exposition from your partner, Oichi. Of the 17 kingdoms in the region, you may have 7 under your control, but Nobunaga has 8, putting him ahead in numbers. It is at this point that some simple math can be performed. If you take 17, subtract 7, then 8, you are left with 2 kingdoms that haven't been conquered. How have they not fallen under Nobunaga's control? The kingdoms of Illusio and Terrera are the barrier between your kingdoms and those conquered by Nobunaga. They are ruled by Shingen and Kenshin, two warlords that even the mighty Nobunaga fears, both in Pokemon conquest and in real life. Bitter rivals, the two not only fend off Nobunaga, but also prevent each other from encroaching on their territory. When you eventually emerge victorious against one of these powerful warlords, the other will join your army, and a feast is prepared in celebration. But apparently, borders aren't a thing, as Nobunaga just strides up to your feast and asks you what your goal is and it is at this point, as I mentioned earlier, that Oichi has plot significance, revealing herself to be Nobunaga's sister. She feared that he would conquer the region, leaving destruction in his wake, and so she left her home kingdom of Dragnor to find a hero to save the region. The rest of the region opens up, and it is now just your army versus Nobunaga's. As you make your way towards the final kingdom of Dragnor, you run into many warlords who will reappear later, and when you finally reach Dragnor, you enter a battle for the ages with Nobunaga, and when you emerge victorious, beams of light from each kingdom sprout up and converge at the top of the infinite tower in dragnor you ascend to the top with your army to find arceus the region's creator waiting arceus becomes your partner and when all seems finished nobunaga and his most powerful warlords appear out of nowhere it was his plan all along to let you befriend the region's creator so he could destroy it himself now in the final climax you fight nobunaga's army with yours now with the god of pokemon on your side and win it is almost impossible to lose this fight With the region saved from Nobunaga's terror, Oichi asks her brother why he did what he did, and his motive may be surprising. At first, those wishing to unite the region loved their Pokemon and cared for them. However, as the fighting spread, many began to use their Pokemon simply as tools for the war, forgetting how to love them. Seeing this, Nobunaga wished to unite the region to prove that there was no legend and end the fighting. With the region united and peace restored, Arceus leaves while hinting that you will meet again, and you give the kingdoms you've conquered back to all of the warlords. The story comes to a close, likely at least 10 hours into playing the game, and that amount of content will likely be deemed more than enough for a spin-off. But that is just the beginning of what this game has to offer. Opening the game after you beat it, you are greeted with a menu containing four pages with three blank. However, one has eight stories with pictures of the warlords. My first time playing this game, a switch clicked in my head when I saw this as I realized that this was just the beginning of the game. The game has over 30 stories, each featuring a different warlord and objective, totaling for hundreds of hours and stories alone. Upon completing the stories of all the main warlords, a new story opens up where you, the main character, and Nobunaga team up with all the other warlords, for essentially a replay of the first story, except you have Nobunaga on your side. But wait, there's more! Every warrior and warlord can have multiple Pokemon that they lead into battle, however, each warrior and warlord has a Pokemon that is perfect for them. With there being 200 warriors and warlords in the game, that's 200 character-specific Pokemon that you can try to find. On top of that, you can complete the Pokedex, and on top of that, well, we'd be here for a long time if I kept talking about this game's depth. The point is, this game shouldn't have this much content. For a spin-off that would barely sell a million copies, the amount of replayability this game has is astounding, especially due to the fact that almost no other Pokemon game, main or spin-off, has this much content in it. And in almost its 10th year of existence, the community is larger than ever due to coverage of the game by many YouTubers and game journalists, marveling at this incredible game that was lost to time. It is unlikely that the game will ever get a sequel. However, maybe a sequel wouldn't live up to the high standards set by Pokemon Conquest. And that's just fine, because that doesn't change what this game is. One of the greatest Pokemon games of all time.